Welcome, listeners! Welcome to Punk Theology. Welcome to the Punk Theology Podcast. I would be your host, Russ Shaw. Soon, Kristen, Chuck, Steve, and I... Some of us know exactly what it feels like to be tribeless. Or are we actually tribeless? Is that what punk theology is, or punk in general? In this episode, we work to maybe tease that out. Punktheology.net is the website for this here podcast. Again, bumper music by Chubby Mosh, punk band from Europe, Valencia, Spain, to be exact. I'll shut up now. Let's go. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you guys. That was like something off the Dr. Demento show. <laughs> That's what I was going for. Was it? I picked no, up. I don't it. remember Dr. Demento. Don't I remember you? that reference, but it escapes me. What? So Kristen brought up something before we started recording, and it's uh, the idea of tears. Like, I've had a really fucking hard week, and it would be nice to to cry as a dude i know that's not very fucking manly especially for mechanics like we're all supposed to be okay boomer macho i'm not a boomer dude i'm a gen xer i'm the boomer (laughs) he's the boomer i'm gen x so anyway but yeah it's 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 true though millennials dudes don't fucking well they cry more that's probably more of a norm than my generation or steve's yeah, but you wear the skinny jeans, right? I don't know. I, don't, I thought that was a millennial thing. Maybe. Boomers don't wear skinny jeans. No, they don't wear skinny jeans. No. no. Have you tried it, Steve? No. <laughs> no, actually, I was a cheerleader in college. Were you? They weren't skinny jeans. They were bell bottoms. Oh, that, that sounds kind of complicated. But they were white. <laughs> they were white they were bell bottoms. White, tight. And you, you didn't trip over them, huh? No. We are learning things about Steve just in my six inch afro. <laughs> Steve reveals things about himself just okay. really slowly. Do you yeah. have pictures, Steve? Yeah, do you have pictures? Screen share. That's a great. Yeah, let me look for him. That's Can't, a great visual. Talk amongst yourselves. I got to find him. As we talk about crying. Yes. Well, go ahead, Russ. Go ahead and cry. No. I'm no, ready. Not gonna do it. Nah, no, nah, you're not nah. gonna do it. So that's the end of this episode. I my, uh, <laughs> yeah, Thanks for joining quick. us. Another quick topic, wasn't it? What about Chuck? Chuck, you ever <laughs> a good cry as a dude? As a dude, just a good cry. Just sit around. I'm not even sure what's happening right now. But okay, I'm sorry. What's the question? Have you ever have you ever desired a good cry? Desired it. Yes. Yeah. Like, why don't you just fucking cry and feel better? It's like emotionally throwing up. Isn't it? Isn't that what you... No. Kind of. No, emotional throwing up is literally throwing up. 
That is actually true. It is. It is. It's uh... and maybe even wetting your pants and occasionally defecating, depending on the situation. Sometimes it can be very ugly. Yeah. Um... See, that's what I love about exorcisms. It's but that's they're one and the same though. Emotional it's... processing and exorcism is the same thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that's it's uh-huh. emotional puking, but it's also physical puking and the uh, peed a little and the shit a little and that the body purges it purges yeah. everything in it yeah yeah, yeah, it yeah it's really weird yeah fucking awesome well it's like i like the analogy of your body is filling up with emotion and then it comes out your eyes right somebody said that years ago i like that that makes sense to me like i could feel it it's almost like you're a you're a, a vessel and you're filling up with fluid and it's gonna come out your eyes and as a dude, I don't know, maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know if it's a guy thing. It's just a me thing, probably. Like, I fight that shit, you know? Why? Uh, I don't know, to be honest, because I know it feels better. It's kind of the same as throwing up. <laughs> like, I fight that, too. Like, the body's natural reaction is to, like, swallow and not fucking throw up. But eventually, when you do... Yeah, you, you feel better, especially if you drank too much the night before. Because <laughs> otherwise you'll die. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's why it's a good analogy is because it's, it's true. When you get too full of some kind of toxin, whatever it is, the body knows how to release it. Mm. And it, it's not meant to hold on to it. And that's what tears are. The releasing of toxins. That's true. I, mm-hmm. I, there's some kind of, I read something about that. Like your shit comes out your eyes. Well, and I really do think that there are different types of tears release, different types of chemicals and different kinds of toxins that usually end up settling into your muscles and your tendons. Right. Yeah, that's what I remember. I had a friend who went to massage school. Mm -hmm. He was telling me about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you can massage someone sick because there's toxins that get locked up in the body you know mm-hmm. and they they massage you a certain way and the wrong way and you can you can make you sick or you fill your body up with nasty that's, shit that's why you always have to go get the happy ending <laughs> happy ending yeah so you can release the toxins i th- i don't think that's legal chuck i didn't say it was <laughs> are you worried about legality all of a sudden Russ? i know right <laughs> oh man see i got some toxins being released here. and you're over here talking about all this shit that you did back in the day and you're like now now chuck now now that might not be easy, appropriate easy talk. we can't talk about we can't, can't talk, talk about, about that on punk theology no we gotta be appropriate now can't talk about getting a handy who said it would be a handy no oh, man i like how you think right on <laughs> Never mind. How do I how do I screen share? There it is. Oh, it. Uh, Russ Russ won't like. Most disabled it. it. How do I yeah. enable it? Russ Russ. Screen share. I don't know how to run this fucking thing. <laughs> pay for it every month. Security is that it? Screen share. Okay, here we go. Advanced sharing options. Uh, all participants can now screen share. All <laughs> have to reboot this No, no, I'm enjoying this. Are you? Yeah. Multiple no, participants can 
simultaneously. Because there is no structure to this whatsoever, and I find it really interesting. Like punk rock, it's just sort of. I know. I'll just see what comes out of it. (laughs) In some ways, it's in some ways it's nice because it just kind of starts out. Everybody's a little fragmented. Oh, 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 whoa. oh hang on, whoa, hang on, whoa, hang on. we're going on a trip now. It's coming, attacked by the Russians. It's coming. Oh, here's Facebook, Steve's Facebook. This is fascinating. Actually, it kind of is. Yeah, hang on. I'm decently impressed, Steve. Are you? Yes, because I wouldn't be able to figure this out. Uh-huh. No, I'm not kidding. Wow, your connection is really slow, Steve. No, it's this guy. All right. Oh, there he is, yep. Steve, are you saying you me? were a lot darker right. whenever you were younger. Yeah. You weren't kidding about the fro. No, that's yeah. me there. That's my wife. That's my brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, you, no. were, you were very shy, weren't you? You didn't want your yeah. face taken. Steve, mm-hmm. why are you so tan? <laughs> I was summer mission trips to South Africa. Oh man, this is terrible. No, no. Yeah, that was that was hey, about yeah, that's about, that about 1980. Nice. Those white bell bottoms look awful. Yep. Like they yeah. just look like they'd be impossible to keep clean. Like yeah, they a were the white thing. outfit. Yeah. I mean, it's a sharp look. I'm not saying it's not good looking. It's just it looks like a nightmare. To okay. Keep, keep that's enough of that. Is it? Yeah. Oh, chicken. Yeah. 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 I used to straighten my hair. That was fun. Thanks. Oh, geez. No, my wife's hair is. I had fro hair and I would straighten it. Like, uh, mine was curly. I think if I'd have been born about 20, 30 years earlier, I'd have probably done the dreads. I love the dreads. Oh, yeah. But they weren't a thing back in the day. Yeah. No, they weren't. Fro's Mm -hmm. were. They always look a little rough on white people. Yeah. 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 They don't look great. No. There's this black no. dude that came into Amazon, or he was an Amazon driver. He came in the shop and and he had the dreads. And I'm like, that is so cool. I said, I totally would have done that <laughs> when I was younger. And he looks at me and I go, Yeah, I had fucking, I had, you know, yeah, I had black hair. <laughs> oh my God. That's what I said. He's like, Oh, I, Chris. But you didn't, though. There's Chris, no way that your hair was that, oh, had that was much pretty, texture oh, to it. There's it, no it, way it had that much texture to it. I used to tie. Well, it wasn't that. I mean, it was curly, really, really fucking. Curly. Right, I believe that. And yeah. I straightened it, and then I would hit it with hairspray, so it looked like a helmet. Uh, and I'd like turn like this. It was bad. But, I mean, it was fantastic. No, I ma- I managed to get by, I suppose. All right. So, what are we actually talking about? <laughs> I'm still curious about your take on spiritual deconstruction as a fucking therapist. Kristen. Oh. Okay. Because people got to come into your office be and be like, mm-hmm. have really bad God shit going on. Well, right. and I think I'm still in the middle of it. I think that's, I don't, well, isn't everybody in the middle of it? Aren't yeah. we always deconstructing all the time and always rebuilding? And I think what I get, I get so overwhelmed by is that there are times when I feel so heavily responsible for the people that I'm working with, but I just feel like I'm barely hanging in there myself. <laughs> And so, you know, when people ask me really complex questions about things like spiritual deconstruction, and if I'm in the middle of it, I don't necessarily have anything all that profound to say outside of, yeah, I don't have the answers. I don't know. Nobody actually, nobody knows. It's just all I know is that deconstruction is somehow a part of growth and it, 
sometimes it's a lot of fun, but most of the time it just feels really shitty to, to not feel an overall sense of confidence in, in knowing that what you believe is right. I think yeah. that's the part that people miss the most is, yeah. is when they have to let go of the idea of being right and to acknowledge that they'll never be 100% right like that ever right. again in their life. Right. They'll never have that kind of confidence again. That's a huge loss for people. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I have to try to talk people through because I have to still support them while making sure that they have a supportive system within their own social environment to get them through that kind of a worldview shift while also giving them solid reasons why it's worth their time and energy. And, and if I'm in the middle of my own deconstructive moment, sometimes it doesn't necessarily come across as clear. Mm. So it, it just depends on whoever I'm talking to and wherever I'm at in the moment. But because I think right now, at this moment in time, if anybody were to ask for any spiritual advice from me, I would probably lose my shit and go cry at a court. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. But I, I have people who come to me all the time who, uh, I get weirdly referred a lot of people who have been in cults and really? uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And cause I, I think I understand that mentality so well, what it feels like to live in it and be in it hook, line and sinker and have everything invested and then to change that. Yeah. Cause then you look down the line of when they've come out of it. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, of, uh, Francis Schaefer, his his son, and I don't know about his his daughters, but wait, who's Francis Schaefer? That was he was familiar. He was that uh, back in the seventies. He he founded Labrie Fellowship over in Switzerland, and it was kind of a think tank for wayward, journeying souls that would come over there and live, and they'd have discussions such mm -hmm. as what's the personality of the universe. Very educated, very uh, deep. Uh, philosophy and theological but he was a very conservative evangelical and the kids grew up in that and then pushed back to the point that everything they built because they saw the inconsistencies with who their dad was versus his public persona and couldn't bring the two together so then they just chucked it because they said well it must not be real right. and that that is such a real issue i think in evangelical christianity because we're looking for the reality of it and an honesty of it. And we don't see it. Yeah. So many people selling certainty. Yeah. Yeah. But even, even non-believers are selling certainty. Oh yeah. Or trying to. I was fascinated by the QAnon thing falling apart. Mm -hmm. Like when Trump finally got thrown out, right. And he, he, the impeachment and then they're swearing in Joe Biden. I think it was the day they were swearing in Joe Biden where, Twitter and all the QAnon people like lost their shit very much like what Derek was describing, you know, with Mars Hill coming down, like, Oh, we all got scammed and this was all bullshit. And like, people are mad, you know, the guy who was one of the QAnon guys was supposed to get pardoned by Trump. No, because it was all bullshit. <laughs> Trump probably had no idea who this fucking person was. Who was that? Oh, I mean, he was, he was banking pardon. on it. Yeah. He was going to pardon. I don't, I don't even know, but it was sort of, it was some big QAnon guy who got locked up for some reason. Because the only guy I think that he didn't pardon was uh, Julia Assange. That's the one they wanted out. And, uh, and Snowden. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Assange didn't get pardoned, but he's still in 
he's still sequestered overseas somewhere. Yeah, yeah. See, but see, so what is real and what's bullshit? Because you, based upon your political perspective, you're saying that, that Trump is full of bullshit, but then there's the other pol- their political perspective that says Biden can't put a sentence together without a, without a teleprompter. So what's the, you know, what, what's bullshit? That's the struggle, I think. That's the deconstruction, reconstruction that we're always in. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, and we, we need to feel as though that something is 100% solidly true that we can yes. absolutely trust. And that's not a real thing. No, it really not. isn't. Yeah. And people and don't like that. that. No, they it, don't. No, it scares people too bad. Oh, yeah, it does. It does. And, and if you embrace that, that uncertainty, then there's certainty in that embracing. You know, there's uncertain there's certainty in the uncertainty, which is really the only thing you can really be certain about. Yeah. True. I, I think as close as you can be certain about anything yeah, is probably exactly. that's probably about as close as you can get. And even yeah. then you still have to be skeptical. Exactly. <laughs> and and I just don't want to be such a hard ass about a particular belief system. I mm-hmm. have my my thoughts and feelings and leanings, but I'm not gonna tell you you're full of bullshit because you disagree with me. Or I disagree with you. You're not full of bullshit. We differ. We disagree. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I, I disagree with a lot of people on, on faith. Like even Derek and I were going at it a little bit in the, in the thread with uh, like, I think I have a different definition of faith where maybe Derek's language is leaning more towards religion. I think that faith is that faith is the fact that we don't got it figured out. And it's trusting that and still going about your life without certainty, right? If you can go about your life, not, I had a friend today, just frustrated. I'm just frustrated. And I think they were kind of frustrated with me. And and my answer was frustration is always birthed out of unmet expectations. <laughs> That's just my personal philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I'm saying that made me sound like an asshole or, self-righteous or whatever the fuck I was I just don't I'm just not going to get all fucking bent out of shape about stuff I have my own speed my own rhythm and if people don't like it then find somebody else I'm I'm okay with that um but my definition of faith is faith is being all fucking worked up about it like if I lose this job my life is over no I'll be all right you know I have faith. <laughs> well, something that you have, Russ, that I actually really admire in you is that you're really good at being in the moment, I think, in a way that I struggle with. Mm. That you just kind of lean into things moment to moment. And there is something in you that trusts that it's going to work out. And you, I mean, you're not wrong. You're still here. Yeah, so I don't know how that's yeah. worked out. Some like some sometimes I have a bad day, and then sometimes like this week, it's just a bad fucking week. And it's a <laughs> damn week, you know. And I wish those things didn't happen, but I think part of it is again going all the way back to recovery groups and that idea of one day at a time. I have that written in the kitchen just to remind myself when I go to the refrigerator, like it's right there by the wall. It says, "You got just today." That's it. Just today, just do today. I'm I'm okay with that. I can do today. You found your glasses. I did. Yeah. Sorry, about to change the subject. Did you no, lose no, them? No. no, I I would agree with that. And 
I guess I'm secure enough in what I believe that I don't have to tear your, your belief down to make mine better. And I'm not holding mine so tightly that I can't change it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm, I, that's why I read and listen to a lot of stuff out there because I am constantly, constantly learning, constantly looking, trying to get more. What about Chuck? I'm curious about Chuck's view on, uh, do you think faith is, is the opposite of certainty, Chuck? If I was to say that faith is the opposite of certainty, do you think that's true or false? That's a dualistic thing. Duality at you. Yes I or no? Comment. I don't have a comment for it. Like, no, I don't think it's false. I don't think it's true either. Mm. I mean, it's I'm sure there's certainty in faith. Period. Whatever the faith is, um, but I, just because you have faith doesn't mean that you have certainty in whatever you know X, Y, or Z. I mean, it's I have faith in the fact that I'm going to go out and start my car and it's going to fucking start. I mean, is it certainty? I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I see odds are a lot. I use that at work, too. Is the car going to be okay? Odds are it'll be fine. <laughs> it's got 200,000 miles on it. It's a piece of shit. But odds are it's, it's going to be okay. Well, as long like, as, as long it's as in you pretty good shape for 200,000 miles. As long as you torque those lug nuts, it should be fine. Yeah, as long as you... Change the oil and, you know. Well, and that, that you know, with, with kids, I think our generation, or, or Russ, you and I, and, and even Christian and Chuck, you know, we growing up, there was a lot of pressure on our parents because they wanted to see us saved. You know, they wanted to see mm -hmm. us live the life of their understanding. Um, I remember I came home from college the first time and, uh, Christmas of 74, I got off the Greyhound bus in Seattle and I hadn't cut my hair. That's when I first grew up my Afro. That's the first time I've been outside the house. And uh, I got off the, off the bus in Seattle and I've got a jean jacket that says big in bold or um, embroidered backs as Jesus saves. I have a necklace with a big cross hanging around it, big Afro platform shoes and my mom goes i gotta call your dad because i was grew up very conservative very cut my hair keep it short very modest clothing well that is was railing against their expectations and even with my two daughters that's one of the things i feel like it was giving them some grace in their journey is not my journey and i can't dictate what that journey is going to look like for them you know and, and i'm fine with that um, you know, they're both good kids. My oldest been married five years now. My youngest is looking for that, that guy, but she's not jumping at the first guy that comes along and asks. And, and there've been a few that I think was the, that was the pressure I know that, that I grew up under. And if it wasn't from the parents, it's from the pastor or if it's even worse, it's from the youth pastor. Cause that's where, if you're, if you're in the youth group and you're serious, you go to Bible college. And if you're really serious, you're going to be a missionary. 
You don't have sex until you get married. Nope. That's, that's and that screws you up big time forever. <laughs> okay, now it's okay. Wait a minute. It wasn't. <laughs> and there's a lot of guys and a lot of gals that struggle with it. Mm-hmm. I know one guy's talking with him. Uh, yeah, she's a friend of mine, best friend. And uh, they got married. He and his wife got married. They dated for two or three years, got married. And uh, he goes, all right, this is exciting. Wedding night. And she goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, we can, we can have sex now. And she goes, no, we can't. They've had sex three times and they have three kids. He's been oh. married for 35 years. Wow. Oh, that's kind of a terrible that. story. Yeah. Oh. No, but see, that's, that's, that's the struggle. Oh. we have in that mentality yes no and that's where it messes people up really badly because it yeah. gives them a very unhealthy idea of what sex is yeah my daughter and i be. my yes. oldest and i've chatted about that's that. terrible yeah because she grew up i mean that's the way she grew up and she she and her and my, and my son-in-law are both virgins when they got married and she said it's a difficult struggle mm-hmm. because now it's okay but it wasn't before and it's just a piece of paper in a in a ceremony right you know no, it actually doesn't feel that fancy. No. No. Mm-hmm. It feels like somebody waving a magic wand, yes, like a fake exactly. one. It's like you go to Disneyland and then you go, you're married now. And you go, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does yeah. this mean something? And we're not going to be honest. We yeah, feel the same. Yeah. You don't have to feel bad anymore. No. And, and I don't think, problem is, I don't think we're honest. Right. That's the hard we're part. Not. We're not honest. No. If I mean, don't even talk about getting honest with ourselves. But yeah, being honest with each other because we don't want to hurt the other person, or or to disappoint our communities, like you were talking about, yeah. Steve. To disappoint our parents, it's just such a heavy. It's a heavy thing to encounter. It's not saying it's impossible, and it is getting easier and easier with each generation. I think it's, right. I think it's significantly more easy for me to be able to, to confront my parents than, than I'm sure it's been for anybody else in a previous generation. But it's still not a simple thing because you have to do it with confidence. And when your parents come back hard or when your community comes back hard and they draw a line and they say, absolutely not, you're not going to be that person. We're not going to condone it. That's a hard thing to, to swallow. So does that help Chuck being across the country for your parents? What was that, Chuck? Yeah, it does. Immensely. Um, And it, you know, it's kind of weird because, yes, it does help, but in the same aspect, physical distance, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, down the street or halfway around the world. Like, I still, like, long to have my parents love me. You know, um, so the distance like sucks for that, but then it's at the same time I'm out of their influence bubble, which is really great. Yeah, that that longing never goes away, does it? No. You're still, Kristen. You're still geographically close to your parents, aren't you? I'm very close. Yep. How's that? I, I moved back on purpose, though. Did you? Uh huh. My mom literally lives a block and a half away from me. She wow. lives on the same street. 
that? You really did that? Did kind that of. Purpose? Kind of. Not oh, entirely. Okay. I didn't do that on purpose. That was kind of an accident. Whatever. That's a long story. And then my dad lives about two miles away. But it's actually worked out very well. So I've been back in northern Idaho for seven years now. Wow, that's weird to think about how long that's been. <laughs> that's when I realized how old I am. Like, oh, shit. And, and I moved back on purpose because I knew that I had unfinished business with my family and my community. Mm. So it was uh, exposure therapy. Because the one thing that I wanted to do was get away from North Idaho. And then I came back. But I'm actually really, I'm about, I'm about as happy here as I think I could be happy anywhere in the world. So that's not bad. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. and, and my parents are very respectful. I'm, I'm pretty firm with my boundaries, though. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, I made that very, very clear. And they respected it. And, and it's changed our relationship over I guess it's been a full decade but yeah it took time so doing what you do I'm curious because I've you know I've studied some psychology myself and it's having tools right like you learn tools of the trade so to speak oh, and how to sure <laughs> how to keep those boundaries right like you it's also I, just I, instinctive to be honest like it's just yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, I know, I mean, yes, I, I do apply. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I have no doubt that I apply therapeutic concepts to my relationships on a daily basis, but it feels like one and the same for me. Because when I do therapy, it feels like real life. And then when I do real life, just therapeutic things trickle in. So it's not like I'm doing it on purpose. It's concepts I really believe in. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm a great salesperson for therapy because I, I believe at heart and soul. And it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, me too. I know you do. I think all of you guys do on some level, like knowing that not that therapy in and of itself is the answer, but that healing is and trying to be able to figure out what that means for every individual and to customize it to them is the trick. Right. What do you think about Derek's analogy with the professional friend? Like you're hiring a professional friend. Would you hire a therapist? Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as they're actually a decent therapist, then, then, then yes. <laughs> then, yeah. well, I mean, and you could, then you could draw a correlation between that and any significant relationship that you're paying for. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a best friend. It's a parent. It is. I mean, it's a prostitute. <laughs> it's absolutely, <laughs> it is a prostitute. Yeah. It's yeah, it's all of those dynamics rolled into one. Yeah. While feeling the hope is is that you can feel as safe as you possibly can be. But that's the part that doesn't always happen. Or it does happen and then somebody takes advantage of it. That's the terrible part. In my trade, that's a big thing. Like no one trusts mechanics. Yeah. No, it makes, when you find true. one person you can trust. I always thought it'd be a cool social media thing to have a website for just mechanics mm -hmm. it doesn't matter where they work right because usually when you rate a place you rate like a, a shop but no one gives a shit about the shop like i trust that guy that guy works on my car mm -hmm. he did a really good job i trust that guy give me that guy you know i think that would be smart so you can follow that guy to whatever shop because like fucking baseball these shops like 
well, it's like anything important. It's like when you go mm-hmm. to the doctor or you go get your hair cut or you, yeah. like you said, you go to the mechanic, like your life is literally on the line. If they're fixing your car and you want to know that when you're going 75 to 80 miles an hour on the freeway, you're not going to die. Like yeah, your wheels are gonna kind fall. of an important thing. Yeah. And so yeah. having, having trust in anybody is such a significant thing, but building it is, is so time consuming and it requires a lot of vulnerability and it also doesn't take much to derail it because the other person has to take their integrity uh, into very serious consideration. And yeah. I think that's, that's hard. I think it's hard to find people who actually consider their own personal integrity to be an important thing. I think most people pretend like they have integrity. Right. That's part of why I'm still a Christian, I think, speaking of spiritual is because it's it's, it's, a, it's absurd <laughs> like it's absurd that i'm a christian and that absurdity is is sort of like that right that's i think great. that's grace that's that's the grace that you have in these relationships with other people whether professional or not like you have to have a certain amount of grace for another human being to trust them you know right I mean, everybody's going in with their feelers up and can I trust this person? But it seems like, I don't know, the more isolated we get, one person hurts me just a little mm-hmm. and fuck them. Like, fuck that person. Well, because the answer is, like, if you ask yourself the question, can I trust the, this person? This an- the answer is always no. No, of course you can't trust no. them. That's right. No, you can't. Yeah. You can't trust anybody. But... Yeah. You can build a relationship over time, one of mutual respect and communication to the point that you do, it's not so much that you just trust them holistically as a person to always do a right thing, but you trust that even if you have a miscommunication, you guys are going to work through it because the relationship is so important to both of you. I think that's the closest thing that people can actually get to having some kind of stable, consistent form of trust with themselves and their relationship. And, and the people around them. Because it's not that you're going to take all of all of your trust and place at another person. That's a very stupid, dangerous thing to do because they will hurt you. Yeah, yeah. People, it's it's a guarantee. And it, 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 do, it does drive me a little bit crazy when people come into my office and they're always, or they get into new relationships or they have new friendships and they're just sure that this one won't hurt them. And the first thing I tell them is absolutely it will. Yeah. Eventually at some point it is going to break your heart and you need to be open to that. Because if you're not, that's where it derails you. And then you're going to become salty and bitter because poor you, you thought that this was your savior. But guess what? It's just another person with their yeah. own their own narrative. And they're not here to make your life better. They're just trying to figure out how to live their own life. And it's yeah, such yeah. a selfish thing when people say, like, I couldn't trust this person 100% and that devastated me and it's their fault. It's, they're not wrong, especially when it comes to victimization, but then realizing at the end of the day, it's, it's always your responsibility to own your part, draw a boundary, communicate what you can grow and then move on. Yeah. Easier said than done though. (laughs) It's it's easier easier to draw that, that up that fucking diagram. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good at drawing diagrams and I hear myself say it (laughs) (laughs) because there are times I'll hear myself preach it in a day, you know, two, three times. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm talking to myself. Aren't I? (laughs) Damn it. I still get emails from the other podcasts and people fill out surveys. I have a little survey thing on the website and people are still filling out those surveys. 
And I'm like, oh, fuck, man, I don't know. I don't really believe that shit anymore. <laughs> Why? What are they saying? <laughs> it's it's complicated. Oh. I don't want to share people's personal shit. But on the on the survey page, I have one on spiritual. It, it, I, I was talking about spiritual deconstruction before it was cool, or at least trying to get people to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I ask questions because people are coming to me with sexual issues right like i mean they have problems of sexuality that's fucking with their life and they're listening to this podcast and then they're going to a survey page and they're filling out this survey and i would ask them about you know were their parents on the same page religiously um did their parents get divorced things like that uh was did anybody in the church be creepy to you sexually right mm-hmm. or molest you well, you know i mean i come right out and asked in a couple of different surveys um and the funny thing is i think i, I don't know if i mentioned with this you, you before but i ask yes no or maybe have you been sexually abused and i have yes no some stuff happened i don't know if it counts guess what the most popular one is well, it would be maybe. People don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People don't know if they've been sexually assaulted. Yeah. No, it's, which is, it's, that's what makes it so complicated because it's way more common than people realize, but that's what makes the conversation so hard. Yeah. Because the answer is there's a strong probability that you have been, you just don't realize that, that yeah, what yeah. that was, was actually a violation. It's just, which, I mean, for some people, they can just brush it off and it's not a big deal and they move on. But when they, they miss certain, things that are a boundary issue especially when it comes to communicating sexually with another person mm-hmm. it can fuck up your entire life especially in your oh, relationships yeah. later on and that's the part that's the major bummer like it's not necessarily just the sexual assault that was so awful it's your entire boundary structure around sexuality period and yeah. being sexually assaulted was just a huge symptom of that unfortunately because you didn't know any different and yeah. so it's just the whole thing is shitty it's having grace for yourself too you you don't get grace for yourself in in the in even that statement um maybe maybe something happened i probably signed up for it mm-hmm. you know i've said that i've heard women a lot of women say that where they're kind of like well maybe i led him on or mm-hmm. i wore too tight a thing or you know like oh fuck like that's just such a mind fuck to get to that point and then to have to deconstruct that and then you start going oh shit what else was i lied to about <laughs> you know like there just becomes a whole myriad of things that you're going oh fuck like i believe <laughs> fucking lies didn't i but we always do though that never stops that we don't have the truth even now we don't have the truth we have some kind of a murky image and i think that's as close as we we can get i mean well, we can we can keep changing that and perfecting it a little bit over time but i don't think that's something that ever comes clearly into focus i don't think we yeah. ever have the absolute truth i do believe i actually do believe that absolute truth does exist i just don't think we can comprehend it yeah we can't i think it. i think it's too big and complicated it's probably such a multifaceted concept that the human mind can't even begin yeah. to grasp it yeah that very thing that you just said is in first Corinthians 13, the definition of love Yeah. in the definition of love in the Bible, like halfway through, it says it, we see through a mirror dimly. Like we don't, mm. we don't see it. We don't know. 
<laughs> it's just so not popular. But I think that is true, though. I don't think we ever see anything totally clearly. It's all kind of peripheral vision. And from there, we, we base all of our communication and connection. <laughs> and and that's, that's what makes this world, I think, so complicated. Because I don't, I don't view this world as either good or evil. It's not founded on either. It's just a, a lot of perspectives and a lot of different languages. And that is a hard thing to connect on. Because when you have billions of different worldviews and understandings and interpretations and literal languages and emotional languages and yeah, connection almost feels miraculous at times. Mm-hmm. But that's why, I mean, I, that's why I'm so supportive of what you guys have been doing with this podcast for so long, because you guys have all acknowledged that it shouldn't have worked. <laughs> it You guys shouldn't still be meeting weekly to do this. Like you were all you were all too fragmented and too weird and came from different places and it shouldn't have worked because it, because like I said, I listened to half the, uh, the previous podcast that you guys did, just the three of you, you guys all, Steve and Chuck were just talking about how it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe at first. And normally people wouldn't hang in there with stuff like that. They would just bounce the first, first or the second time. And that would be the end, but you guys are a resilient bunch. Yeah. You guys hang in there, even when shit's weird. <laughs> well, and, and it was, for me, it was Russ and Chuck being the anchors. Because if yeah. one of them had left, I would have been gone. Because you knew them previously. Yes. Is that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some and, would call it I mean, stupidity. You what? What? I mean. You said, you said about like being brave or, you know, like rough. It can be both. Stupidity. <laughs> it can be dumb yeah, too. It can be that too. <laughs> not really knowing what you're getting yourself into and then just kind of winging it and i can't yeah. imagine so the three of you this is what i'm picturing because i didn't realize it was like the three of you that knew each other and then then you get john derek and arthur like what what a weird dynamic that must have been at that oh beginning. yeah oh yeah. those three especially yeah well, that would be weird because i remember that first monday night that we walked into derek's garage and I, I just felt the the eyeballs. Ugh. You know, they the three of them, John and 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 Derek and Arthur, just looking at me. I don't know if, if Chuck felt that as much, but like, who are these guys? No, I did a really good job of never Bundy, being present. The <laughs> never being present. Good job, Chuck. <laughs> so I, I actually well have, done. I have very little recollection of a lot of the beginning of this whole thing so you were very efficient you just scrubbed that clean yep (laughs) i mean i'm sure it's somewhere in a you know a file folder in a Uh filing cabinet in a irrelevant information yeah Yeah. insignificant marked miscellaneous Uh it's only 98 percent of your life it's fine (laughs) yeah yeah that's my uh ideas of punk and and I think that the punkness of this is that idea. And I know Chuck will roll his eyes, but that idea of staying in the room with difference, like that is so fucking punk rock today. Everyone is so polarized and so wanting to be in their own tribe. And I fucking hate that shit. And, and I, you two guys 
as opposed to, I mean, these were different friend groups I had and then bringing you guys in with Arthur and Derek and, you know, that was, I, I didn't know Arthur that much at the time, but with John, I knew John and, and Derek really well, but the, the, that idea that you're, the, the similarities were a deeper similarity that you guys aren't afraid to talk about deeper shit, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like Derek talked about with the cigar hearths that we had. And there was a bunch of guys that get together and smoke cigars. And then some of us would start talking about deeper shit. And then half the group would leave <laughs> and they would go sit over there. It's funny how, you know, socially, oh, you know, we'd rather talk about engines and fucking, you know, music or movies or whatever the fuck, like whatever. We start talking about something deep. Some guys would press in. And a lot of guys would move away. It was it was guys like you that would press into those kind of conversations. They weren't afraid of uncomfortable, deeper shit. And that's why I thought that would make sense. But I don't know. It's always been my heart is to find some way where we can all, you know, get together and, and not be butt hurt over stupid shit. <laughs> Like it's so, it's this poisoned the world. It's, we're butt hurt way too easy about stupid shit. I put that on a bumper sticker, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get butt hurt over stupid shit. <laughs> Actually, that right there, you should patent that. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. yes. I don't know. Um, I can tell that's something you're learning to do Russ, and you're actually doing it with intentionality. I respect the fact how hard you're working at trying to sit with things that make you uncomfortable. Mm. Cause I know you're just, you're aware that that's, that's something you struggle with, but you're trying, you're trying hard to do something different. Cause I think you do try to practice what you preach and that you really don't like how everybody's just kind of fracturing off and doing their own thing and not trying to understand other perspectives and here you are turning into the skid and that might not be your instinct, but well, it's, you know, it's, the it's right not thing to do. like, it's not comfortable. No, I remember I listened to last week's show where Steve was talking about people want to get into groups where it's safe. And, uh, and I don't, I don't feel safe. Ooh, like that's emotional. Right. I'm feeling the, the shit come out my eyes a little bit. I never ever felt safe in 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 social stuff. Like there was always a part of me, maybe the teenage part of me that was sitting up there. He's 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 here. Like I got you. You stay back there. That younger part of me, that other part of me. But doing this, it's it never. It doesn't feel safe. It I'm not. I don't feel safe. It's I mean, not. I, like I know you guys, but I don't. I didn't. I didn't start this feeling safe. I don't, I never, ever, ever felt safe in a social situation in a group of people. I, I could hold court, you know, so to speak. Even in grade school, you didn't mean. feel safe? It was that maybe that narcissistic part of me that had all the mirrors, right? Like, I like that. I think about that sometimes, Kristen, you talk about that. Like, there really was a part of me that was in this fucking tube of mirrors to just try and survive and uh so even in grade school yeah, you I never don't. felt safe russ no i didn't feel safe fuck no i was Did held you back ever remember feeling grade. safe 
I was held back in the second grade because of dyslexia. And and I fucking wrote everything backwards. And then I was moved to another school. I took a knife to school and I was suspended for defending myself against a bully at I don't know, it was third grade or some bullshit like that. So that because I'm tracing a lot of my stuff back to the environment. I mean, I see um, one of the things I've kind of been working on that you guys challenged me last week was just going back to that 13-year-old. And I think that that 13-year-old stepped up to protect because he had been bullied um, and made to feel less than. And I know, Russ, in that first podcast I did with you on your other one, I, I shared about how my kids in high school felt sick to their stomach every time they heard the garage door open because I was coming home and they didn't know what kind of mood I was in. Mm-hmm. And I remember that same feeling growing up with my dad, but we didn't have a garage door opener, but I remember hearing dad's car pull in and then he'd get out from putting his eight to 10 hours in at Boeing and come home and want calm, want quiet. He want to talk to my mom for about 15 minutes, have a beer and then go lay down. Well, I started repeating that stuff and you, that's why I was curious about if you ever felt safe because I did, but it was way back before we had four kids. Derek and I have talked about this. Both our, our parents should have stopped. <laughs> no, don't have four kids. Stop early. You know, my youngest two, two youngest uh, siblings would disagree, but I mean, they didn't, dad didn't have a clue as what he was doing. None. Yeah. Not that I do, but I have more of an awareness, at least an awareness of my own vulnerability or my own flaws and trying to be vulnerable to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And that's, that's what, that's why I was just curious because, you know, like I shared last week, I think safe is feeling the, the knowledge that you're seen, you're heard and you're understood. And And that's, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard to understand. It's hard to take the time. And I never grew up with feeling like I was understood. Because I'd act out a lot of shit and it was all because I'd get bullied. But I was never asked. I was just behavior modification. And that was a lot of it in the church too. Was, you know, it's more important that you look right than you be right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's my deconstruction, reconstruction. Now it's more, I don't care, really care what I, what it looks like. You know, I, we, I was a couple, it was two years ago, my daughter and I were going to, my youngest was taking me to Texas for the, for a week and uh, we're getting ready to go. I was doing some stuff at work on the computer trying to get done. My wife comes home and says, well, I think I have a flat tire in, in her infinity. So I went out there and, oh yeah, she had a flat tire. I mean, it was flat. It rose low anyway. So I couldn't put my floor jack under it. I had to dig out the jack dedicated to the infinity in the trunk, open the trunk, and it's just full of stuff. So I come in there and I go, what is all this fucking shit in your trunk? It's not shit. You know, it was, <laughs> I was frustrated. I mean, I admit it, I was frustrated. But the thing that came to my realization was, you know, I'm more free to talk that way because I'm not trying to be something I'm not. And I brought that, I, I said something like that. I go, well, maybe this is who I always was. And I just quit pretending that it, now. 
you know, and that's what it makes people really uncomfortable. It makes people <laughs> uncomfortable when you start becoming more, more it would. verbalized in your emotions, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because you quit pretending. And that's that again, that's my that's the reconstruction of my deconstruction. Yeah. What does that feel like? I think that was it was really good. When the therapist asks, so how did that feel? How did it feel? I I don't I don't I what? This <laughs> is so such a foreign concept to me. You know, trying to shove out all my feelings all the time. Yeah. Well, that's in the end. That's that's part of my upbringing because that's what my dad did. I never knew. I never. I I think I remember seeing my dad cry once when his mom died because it was the realization that he had he no longer and she was 86, 85, and he realized that he no longer had a home that he could go home to. You know, like. When your parents are alive, no matter how bad it gets, you can always move home, right? Well, when my mom, when my grandmother died, that was the realization of my dad. And now it was just now looking back, and I was in no position at that time to even get a, even scratch the surface of what that could have meant. But looking back now, I know my dad was, there was a lot of fear and insecurities in my dad's life. And it manifested in the way he raised us, mm-hmm. me specifically, mm-hmm. because he tried to get value from me, and I was not one that you sought that out of. Yo, you want value out of me? We'll try this. <laughs> I kind of like that. Oh, jeez. Uh huh. No, you. Well, that, that, that's what I mean by resilient. No, you guys are all resilient because some way, somehow, you you were all able to still hold true to who you are at your core, even in the middle of everybody else telling you you shouldn't be. That's not easy to do over the course of a life. Well, that's that's I think where I'm still on discovery is trying to figure out that. Mm-hmm. you know trying to find that core guy yeah one of the things i'm i'm i know i'll throw a christian book in but i'm reading a book uh by john eldridge called uh um fathered by god and how he says that we've got to take these guys specifically need that belief that they're that they can do it that that when it matters they can make it yes and he says yeah. we've done such a horrible job because we don't have that set up. And he says, for guys especially, and this is one of the things I think, Russ, that, that Seth has hit on, is he says, take that that journey. Take that sojourn. You know, whatever that looks like. Go and be by yourself on a journey. He says, for guys, it's, a lot of times it's road trips. You know, just go on a road trip by yourself. And it's like, yeah. oh, shit. That, but on one side, that's really exciting to me but on the other side it scares the hell out of me you know just what's out there mm-hmm. yeah the best men's retreat thing that i did was at uh, ac3 and and the most brilliant thing about it was the guy who was leading it you know he'd wake us up in the morning we'd all eat breakfast we all got to know each other and then he said there's like 700 acres of woods behind this place go get lost 
right? Mm-hmm. And just go out in the woods, talk to God, scream at the trees, whatever you need to do. You know, there's a river down here. Like you won't get totally lost. Like we can find you, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like go, go out there and just lose yourself. And it was well, beautiful. And I, I had tears and the whole thing just, I remember standing in the woods and just ah, just screaming, you know, if God's real, I was just pissed off. <laughs> well, and see, my, my, that that one. was one of my struggles with AC3. The only guy I thought out there that was real was Dan. You yeah. know, those guys, that Saturday night thing, I mean, I just, they talk about their men's retreat and I'm just thinking bullshit. I, mean, I'm not, I got better things to do than to go out and hang out with a bunch of guys that aren't going to be honest. If you're gonna, yeah, yeah, if I'm gonna dedicate a weekend. Down. I mean, that was what I honestly, that was what was good about that weekend in Whidbey Island mm-hmm. because you saw a side of all of us that we typically don't, and that's the safety part, maybe you, that you were touching. Yeah. Speaking of language, you know, that's that feels safe. I know you guys, it's gonna be okay. Eye of the storm, I don't know. Hey, Chuck, land the plane. It's over. <laughs> if you're still with us. That's a profound, deep. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Until <laughs> uh, next time. Kristen, thanks for hanging together for us, girl. Well, no, thanks for doing this with me. Sorry I came across no, some straw awesome. in the thread. I know. <laughs>No matter what brand or type of record player you have, the tone arm should now be close to the center of the record and almost at the shiny area just before the label. If you own an automatic turntable, in a few seconds, the arm should raise itself as if by magic and then return to its rest near the outside of the unit. If you do not have an automatic turntable, this should not happen. The second part of this test involves you. If you have been correctly installed as part of your stereo system, you will now lift the record up, turn it over, and replace it on the turntable with side two on the top. You will then proceed to listen to all of side two. If you do not do this, you have failed the test, and you have the worst hi-fi system in the world no matter how much money you spent.